Yeah, come on, church. Yeah, all right. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity once again to gather together, Lord. It's been such a long time, but we are so grateful, Lord, that you are faithful. And we know, Lord, that this is a, a time where we can cherish, Lord, together, come together and just appreciate, Lord, the fact that we have corporate worship. And Father, I pray for those who could not make it, those who don't feel comfortable right now at this time coming, Lord, that you would bless them as well. Father, speak to our hearts, Lord. Remind us that you have deposited into our lives a gift or gifts to advance your kingdom, to build your church. We thank you, we praise you, and I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind will be of you, not of me. Praise this in Jesus' name, all God's people said what? Come on. Amen. Amen. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You have your Bibles, a Bible app, our church app, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 1 through 11 is going to be today's text. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. We're now in part 23 of our series, Undivided. And by the way, if you did not get one of these wrist uh, bracelets here, these things here, it says undivided, cry out. It has our symbol on that. Please let me know, and we'll get you one after service, okay? We don't want you to be feel left out. So we're now in part 23 of this series, Undivided. And as always, before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review, right? A quick review in chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Chapter 11, 17 through 34. And you might remember this, that there Paul, he was addressing and he was dealing with the issue of the Lord's Supper. Say the Lord's Supper, And then in verses 17 through 22, what Paul does, Paul confronts them and corrects them in the way which, listen now, they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. So the aspect of their worship needed correction. And then in verses 23 and 26, through 26, excuse me, Paul shows them how to conduct, listen now, the true, say true, Lord's Supper. And he was, what he was doing, he was bringing them back or bringing their focus back on what Jesus did for them. And then in verses 27 to 32, Paul tells them some of the consequences that had occurred among them because of not regarding the Lord's Supper in a proper way. And then in verses 33 to 34, in wrapping up his exhortation to the Corinthian believers, Paul tells them how they should, listen now, act during their, what we call the agape meal or the the, the love feast, and then also celebrating the Lord's Supper. This now brings us to today's text. And the title of my message is Spiritual Gifts. Everyone say that. And let's say it with a little more enthusiasm. Spiritual Gifts. Now, before we move forward, I want to give you the definition of a spiritual gift. Okay, this is it. It's a special, unique ability, this is now, freely distributed by the Holy Spirit to believers for the purpose of service. Got it? to the body of Christ, and what? Glorifying God. So we're going to say this together on three, one, two, three. A special, unique, come on, ability freely distributed by the Holy Spirit to what? Believers for the purpose of service to the body of Christ and glorifying God. And so this begs the question, right? I mean, what's the difference between spiritual gifts and and talents? Well, a talent is the result of genetics or, or training, while a spiritual gift is a result of the power of the Holy Spirit in building up the body of Christ and glorifying God, right? 
A talent can be possessed by anyone, by a Christian or a non-Christian, while spiritual gifts are only possessed by Christians. Now, in today's text, we're going to look at the beginning of Paul's exhortation to the Corinthian church concerning spiritual gifts. In fact, this exhortation really consists of chapters 12 all the way through chapter 14. And you see, the problem, the problem uh, with the Corinthian believers at that time was that they thought that church was all about them. That church was all about them. They were using their spiritual gifts for, for their personal agendas and, or, to, uh, or to stroke their own egos. Now listen, the devil's goal, and I want you to hear this, the devil's goal is to get you to think that church exists for no one else than you. He wants you to, to believe that. And his goal is to get you to become what we call a consumer. Consumer, the consumer mentality. What can I get? What's in it for me? What can the church do for me? It's all about me. And if you can get you and I, the church, to think that way, that consumer mentality, friends, then we're in trouble as a church. Listen, every time you and I, every time we walk through these doors here at Cry Out, every time we walk through those doors here at Cry Out, friends, we need to recognize that it's not about us. It's not. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about working and serving and using and sharing our gifts and lives with one another to advance his kingdom. Not my kingdom, not your kingdom, to advance his kingdom. And you see, when that's our focus, when that is our focus, the church, the body of Christ, is strong, healthy, and effective. Now, because Paul's lengthy response, because of his lengthy response, we can assume that the misuse and abuse of spiritual gifts was causing trouble, confusion, was causing disunity within the Corinthian church. And so what Paul does, Paul sets him straight on the issue of spiritual gifts. And so I want to give you five points from today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, the distinction. Write that down, the distinction. And then we're going to look at verse 1 here, the distinction, verse 1. And Paul writes, now about spiritual gifts, brothers. The little, literal translation is now about spirituals, brothers. And I want to stop there and notice that this is the same opening phrase that we have seen Paul use previously in chapter 7, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 25, and chapter 8, verse 1. And what it does, it indicates that Paul is giving a response, a response, to, the, to one of the questions that the Corinthians had asked in their original letter to him. And we know for sure that they asked Paul for more information about how the spiritual gifts or manifestations should be handled in the local church at Corinth. And I'm guessing they probably asked him questions like, hey, what is a spiritual gift? Or who has spiritual gifts? Or, or how are spiritual gifts to be used? I'm just guessing that. Let's read on. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Say ignorant. And Paul doesn't want them to be ignorant, uninstructed, unlearned, or uninformed of the truths that he's about to explain to them in this chapter and also in chapters 13 and 14. Look at verse 2 with me. You know that when you were pagans, say pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. The Greek word there for pagan is the word ethnos, Say ethnos, and this word is a general term for the nations of the world, and it's often used for Gentiles in contrast to Jews. 
which the majority, we know this right, which the majority of believers in, in the Corinthian church came out of a Gentile and pagan background. Therefore, listen now, therefore they would tend to associate any manifestations of spiritual gifts in the church with some of their experiences in the pagan temple services. Paul simply reminding them of their pagan roots, their pagan background, their pagan lifestyle from which they were saved out of. And listen, he wanted to make sure, you got to get this now, he wanted to make sure that they understood that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are distinct, distinct from pagan spiritual experiences. That's what he's driving at. Let's go back to the text. I want to point something out. Somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. When we read that, right? We, we, when we read that, we think, you know, how stupid were they, right? I mean, how stupid were they to be influenced and led astray by these hand-carved objects that cannot speak? And we say, how, how silly is that? And yet, don't we have that in our own culture? Is that not, listen now, is that not at the heart of what materialism is? This thing or this object that does not speak but has captured our hearts, our attention, and our affections? Hmm? We could laugh at that, but yet we're doing the same thing at times, especially in today's culture. Then Paul says, well, you know, well, since, since we're on the subject with spiritual things, let's understand this. Look at verse 3 with me. Therefore, he says, I tell you that no one, say no one, who is speaking by the Spirit of God, says Jesus be accursed or Jesus be, be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the, who? Say it, Holy Spirit. So in context, in context, apparently there were some in the Corinthian church who were saying Jesus is cursed while claiming to be speaking in the Spirit of God. Now listen, to say Jesus is cursed is to condemn his nature, his character, his holiness, his work, and his glory. And there were also some, I, I would believe, some of them who were also elevating themselves spiritually, saying, I have this gift, and since I have this gift, guess what? I'm more spiritual than you. And what Paul is saying, if you want to know how the Spirit of God works in your life, if you really want to know, if you want to know how you know the Spirit of God is working in you, this is how, Paul says. This is how, that the Spirit within you declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. Got it? In the Greek, the word Lord is kurios. It's, it means master. Master. In the Greek, Jesus Christos, kurios, means Jesus Christ is Lord. He's master. So, is he? Is he master? Is he Lord of your life? Is he the one who you follow? Is he, is he, is he the one who, who you obey? Is he the one who has your affection, your attention? Is he the one who has your heart? Huh? Is he the one who's in charge of your life? You see, it's not about the preachers you listen to or about what denomination you belong to or what your spiritual gift is. At the end of the day, it's this, friends. Is Jesus Christ your master? Hmm? Is he your Lord? That's how we know that the Spirit of God is at work in you. Got it? Listen, friends, it's only through the Holy Spirit, say that only through the say it, Holy Spirit, that a person can honestly and genuinely say Jesus is Lord. 
Now, I want you to get this, okay? I want you to get this. When you say Jesus is Lord, and when I say Jesus is Lord, friends, there's unity. Why? Because we're confessing the same Lord. And this is the basis for our unity, that we say the same thing about Jesus Christ. Now, listen, you know, I mean, we may do everything else differently. That's right, obvious. We may do everything else differently. We may come from different cultures, different backgrounds, different uh, political ideologies, different denominations. But we must agree that Jesus is Lord. If you're saved, say amen. Listen, then I, wanna, I want you to get this, okay? I want you to get this because we're talking about distinction here. Distinguishing. We need to rightly, as believers, Please hear me. We need to rightly discern the genuine work of the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be discerning when it comes to claims of spiritual experiences. And just because someone had an experience, just because someone claims it's spiritual, doesn't mean it's a work of the Holy Spirit. We need to hold things, listen, up to the word of God and to the standards of holiness, friends, and learn to discern. Say, learn to discern. Learn to discern a true work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we ought not to be afraid of the Holy Spirit, but we ought to be able to distinguish, is it the Spirit or is it not the Spirit of God? And that's what Paul was driving at. Number two is the source. Say the source. We're going down to the source of spiritual gifts. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 6 here. And Paul writes, there are different kinds of gifts. So the Bible talks about different kinds of gifts, not just the ones here in this chapter, right, friends? I mean, there are, spirit, there are supernatural, or we call them sign gifts. There are service gifts, support gifts. There are also speaking gifts. So there are different kinds of gifts, but the same what? Come on, say it, the same spirit. There are different kinds, verse 5, of service. In other words, many different ways to serve but the same Lord, that's Jesus Christ. There are different kinds of workings. In other words, they man manifest itself in different ways as you and I serve. But the same God works all of them in all men. The same Spirit, Holy Spirit, the same Lord, Jesus Christ, the same God. Notice there's a Trinitarian emphasis here. Love that. The source of spiritual gifts is the divine Trinity. The gifts, this and now, are under the lordship of the triune God. Different gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord Jesus Christ. Different kinds of working or effects, but the same God at work. Our spiritual gifts are different. They're different. They're different. And the way we use them to serve are different. The way they manifest themselves through you and through me are different. And the results we accomplish are different. They're different, but the same triune God is behind it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, behind it all, same, different, but the same. And, and I love this. There's, there's, and as you look at the Trinitarian emphasis here, the, the, there, there's diversity. I love this, diversity. Get this now, in the Godhead, but yet sameness and unity. So it's this. There is unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. Got it? And that's the reflection of the unity that we should have in the church. And God desires that of his church. Unity 
in diversity. Got it? Hey, I don't know if you noticed, but hey, we serve and worship an amazing God who is infinitely creative. I mean, he created the world, didn't he? Created you and me, right? He's creative and he loves the differences. He's the one behind our diversity. God loves our different gifts. He made each of us for a unique purpose and gifted us accordingly. He loves, listen, I love this. He loves our different personalities. He loves our different dispositions. He loves our different genders. He made us male and female. He loves our different races and ethnicities. There is unity behind all of this diversity. So here's a lesson. We always have a lesson, yeah? Look at me. Everyone look at me, okay? You're gifted. That's it. You're gifted. You're gifted. If you're saved, say amen. You have been given, if you're saved, if you're born again, you have been given a spiritual gift. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for me. Listen now, and his purpose for us is bigger than ourselves. It's bigger than we know. And I love this. God fearfully and God wonderfully created and fashioned and gifted you to live for something bigger than yourself. And this gift is for God's greater purpose in your life. So you're gifted. You may not realize what your gift is right now, but you may already realize what your gift is, but you're gifted. Notice the verse also implies that even if several believers were to have the same exact spiritual gift, they may be led to use that gift in many different forms or service, of service in ministry or ministry because of the experiences and personalities and dispositions. In other words, you might have three or four people who have the same gift, same gift, right, but manifested itself in different ways. Why? Because they have different experiences, different personalities, and different dispositions. Now, why would that be, why would that why would it be like that? Why? I'll tell you why, friends. So that we can minister to a lot of different people. Here's another lesson. Are you ready? Okay. Don't compare. Don't compare. Don't compare yourself with others. Everybody, see, everybody has different gifts and different combinations of gifts. Now, you, you can admire someone's gifts. Man, I really just, man, that's awesome. I just love the way that God works through you and in you. And you might admire someone else's gifts, but that's their gifts, not yours. So stay away, hands off. It's just different than yours, not better. Got it? My gift might be different than your gift. Your gift might be different than my gift. But guess what, friends? I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. Yeah? And you see, this is where the Corinthian believers fell short. This is where they got it wrong, friends. They were making it all about them. They failed to recognize the next verse, which brings us right into the next point. Verse 3, I mean, excuse me, point 3 is the purpose of the gifts. Just write down the purpose. And I, I believe as I, 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 I study really hard because I'm not schooled in all this stuff, okay? So this is, I believe this is the key interpretive verse. As we study this chapter in chapter 13 and 14. And I'm real excited about the next chapters, okay? He says this, verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation, say manifestation, of the Spirit is given. I want to stop there. A spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So when you see a spiritual gift in action, you're seeing the Holy Spirit at work. 
Got it? So here's the key interpretive verse here. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? For the common good. That's it. For the common good. Here Paul is telling them, he's telling us, he's telling the whole church, he says, hey, the purpose of our spiritual gift, the reason, the reason that spiritual gifts are given for what? The common good. The common good. Listen, spiritual gifts are not designed, nor are they given to us for our personal agendas or to stroke our own egos. Nor are they given to us to make us feel special or or important. Look at me. Look how God's using me. They are given to us that the whole church family might benefit. Not just a particular individual, but it's for, the, say, the, say, common good. Say that. It's for the common good. The common good. Steve Seisser said this, if you have a special ability that is from God, it is not given to make you richer, more prominent, or anything like that. It is only it is, not, it is not merely for your own good. In other words, if it is in fact from the Spirit of God, it will benefit all. Gifts are meant to build up the body of Christ. Build up the body of Christ. Your gift builds me up. My gift builds you up. Okay, it's for the common good, for the good of the whole church. So guess what, friends? My gift is not about me. It's about you. Your gift's not about you. It's about me. It's about building each other up. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. The gifts are not for individual enjoyment, but for corporate employment. He also said this, spiritual gifts are not toys to play with, they are tools to build with. And you see, the Corinthian believers, friends, they needed to hear this. Why? Because they were using their spiritual gifts selfishly, and and, and it was only for their own agenda, their own purposes, and to promote themselves instead of to prosper the church. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're, if you're saved, say amen. I want to be convinced you're saved, okay? All right? Listen, if you said amen, we, we, we need to be very, very careful because we can use our spiritual gifts that God has given us and begin to turn them inwardly. And that's where I can, that's where we can, or where it can create factions or, or cause chaos or friends. That's where it becomes disruptive in the body of Christ when we make it all about ourselves. And it's very easy to take our spiritual gift and make it about us. About us. Our gifts are not designed to be pointed inward, they're designed to be directed outward. Outward, designed to benefit others. I want you to write this down, 1 Peter 4:10. I love what Peter writes here, 1 Peter 4, 10. And he says, each of you, each of you should use whatever gift, say gift, you have received for what? To serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. There are two attitudes, one of two attitudes that we have when we come here on Sunday. And one attitude could be, here I am, here I am, and I couldn't wait to get here, and you know what, I'm so ready, I'm so ready for you to serve me. Or the other attitude is, huh, there you are, there you are, I couldn't wait to get here, 
And I am so ready, I am so, so ready to serve you and be a blessing to you. And I want to use all that God has given me and gifted me to serve and bless you. I'm here to become, I'm here to contribute, not to consume. So which one are you? Huh? If you're here to consume, by the way, listen, if you're here to consume, make it all about you and just what I can get out of it, you're going to isolate yourself. You're going to isolate yourself, and you will never experience the blessings of being in real community of exercising your spiritual gifts. Now, let me tell you the blessings of using your spiritual gifts, okay? Just quickly here. It's not on your screen. Just write it down. The blessings of using your spiritual gifts is it will help you understand who you are. It will help you understand who you are. Got it? Okay? Because you're understanding how God created you, how he fashioned you and his purpose he has for you. And you will not understand that. You won't understand that, friends, until you start exercising your giftedness, until you start serving in the capacity God has gifted you. Another blessing is this. You build community. You make friends. You build community. You make friends. The church is only big if you're not serving. And I hear people say all the time, I want community, I want community, I want community. And serve. Serve. Use your gifts and serve. Someone said this, and I love it. When you approach the church as a consumer, only to get your needs met, you are in effect isolating yourself. But when you reject the consumer mindset, serving will draw you out of yourself and into relationships where you will find real joy and happiness. Another blessing is this, when you use your spiritual gifts. It's the joy of seeing God use you to build his kingdom. How amazing is that? It's the joy of seeing God use you to build his kingdom. You get to be a part of something that is bigger than yourself. That should blow your mind, friends, that God wants to use us in our giftedness Listen now, friends, to build his kingdom. Amen? Now, if you're safe, say amen. Would you agree with me that what is good for Jesus is probably good for us? Yeah. Right? Well, write this down, Matthew 28, 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. I hear people say all the time, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be just like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, Pastor. I want to be like Jesus. Okay, serve. And then it says this, and to give his life as a ransom for many, he gave himself. You see, when you serve Jesus, you're serving each other. When you're serving each other, you're serving Jesus. Yeah? Number four is the variety. Write that down, the variety of spiritual gifts. The variety and what Paul does here, he, he lists a variety of spiritual gifts. There are nine mentioned in the text, nine spiritual gifts mentioned in the text. It's not systematic or comprehensive. It's not even an exhaustive list. In fact, he mentions more gifts. There's about 22 or plus gifts in the Bible. Uh, he mentions more in Romans 12, Romans 12, uh, verses 6 to 8, Ephesians 4, 11, and also 1 Peter 4, verses 10, uh, verses uh, 10 through 11. Again, Romans 12, 6 through 8, Ephesians 4, 11, and 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. Paul, now notice Paul, as we 
read these gifts here in, in the text, he doesn't go into detail, and neither will we. Okay, we're just going to go through them. But I, I think what we can do down the line, we can do some topical studies and messages here at Crowd and break all these gifts down. Okay, break them all down. Uh, we could do something on, 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 on the Trinity, on, on the gifts and other things in the Bible, okay? I'm really excited about creating, you know, messages like that and doing things like that so we can be well-informed about those things. If you got it, say got it. Okay, okay so let's go. Verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. That's the only time this is mentioned here about the message of wisdom, having that gift of wisdom. And it means the ability, listen now, to bring practical spiritual insight in a timely way to a specific problem. Taking knowledge and putting knowledge into practice. Someone described it as this, as putting truth to work at home, in marriage, in church, in business, and in the world. And then he says this another <clears throat> to another, the message of knowledge, or the word of knowledge, by means of the same spirit. Say same spirit. This is the ability to deal with the, the theoretical or philosophical aspects. Some say this, the ability to deal with the theoretical, uh, theoretical or philosophical aspects of God's Word. Also, its ability to perceive and systematize the great truths hidden in God's Word. Some say it's this, the ability to know facts about a certain situation. Supernatural knowledge into a particular situation. We're going we're gonna to unpack that when we do a, a series on this whole thing, right? Verse 9. <clears throat> to another faith by the same Spirit. This is the ability to trust God. Say, say, trust God in the face of overwhelming obstacles and human impossibilities. And there's quite a few people in this church who have that gift. They're like, hey, God's going to pull through. I'm trusting God's going to pull through. Pastor, don't worry, he's going to pull through. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't have that kind of faith. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's just like crazy faith, right? People have that faith. Then he says, to another gifts of healing, <clears throat> healing by the one spirit. Notice, notice the text, to another gifts, that's plural, of healing. In the Greek, it says it like this. To another gifts of healings. By the Spirit. Healings, healing there is plural, which can refer to not just, as we think, physical healing, but also emotional and spiritual healing. Now, since we're talking about healing here, I, I, I believe God still heals today. I believe that. It's always in God's power to heal, but it's not necessarily always His purpose, though. Okay? And I believe that God can have someone just pray for you and God can use that person to pray for you and then you're healed. I, believe, I also believe God uses doctors to heal us. But let me say this about healing. When you look at the Bible and, and you look at Jesus, when Jesus healed, he never brought attention to himself. In fact, when he was in a room, he said, get out. And when he healed someone, he says, don't tell them. He never blew on them, never threw his robe on them. He just did it. I also want to say this. Physical healing always, say always, occurs according to God's will. To God's will. Right? God's will. Your will above my will. To assume, to assume that God will heal everyone, and I've heard people say that, Christians, is not biblical. 
It's not biblical. It's not. Okay? Verse 10, to another miraculous powers. Some say this is the ability to release the power of God in a unique and supernatural way. Some say it's the ability to cast out demons. Then it says to another prophecy. Some believe it's foretelling here. Foretelling. It's the telling forth of God's message in a particular situation, always according to his word and his current work. Some believe it's foretelling. Verse 1 is foretelling. Some believe it's foretelling. It's, it's prediction about the future like Agabus did in Acts. Or telling something which God has spontaneous brought to mind. Now, if that happens, friends, someone giving a prophecy, we have the right as believers and responsibility to judge it and test it. Are you with me? Because there's some crazy people out there. We have the responsibility to judge it and test it. That brings us to the next one. Notice what he says after that, to another distinguishing between spirits. This is the ability to tell the difference between true and false doctrine, flesh and spirit, error and truth, between what is of the Holy Spirit and what is not. And you see that in Acts 8, 18 through 23, and Acts chapter 16, 16 through 18. Now I want to say this. It is important to test the word of anyone, anyone who claims to speak for and from God. 1 John 4, verse 1 3 says, we as believers need to test the spirits. Need to test it. We need to test the spirits. The devil will try to infiltrate the church with false teachers. And we need the gift of discernment in the church today, especially today. There's a lot of goofy stuff going on. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. After 2,000 years, it is a very controversial gift. And guess what? We're going to examine the gift of tongues in detail in chapter 14. I'm excited about that. Okay? We're going to examine that in detail in chapter 14. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And that's the ability to interpret the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in an unknown tongue. And we spent some time in tongues in the book of Acts, but I'm going to bring the message in a way that we're going to dig in deeper in terms of the tongues there, the tongues here, and hopefully we'll have clarity on that. Number five, the giver. And we're almost done here, the giver. Say that, the giver. So after using, or listing, should I say, some of the variety of gifts, Paul adds that they are all given from one God, say one God, by the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, all these, all these, all these, all these, all these, all these gifts, and perhaps those beyond that we see in Romans and Ephesians and First Peter, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. I'm going to read that again because I want you to get it. All these, all these, are the work of one. Say one. And the same Spirit, say same Spirit. He's after unity in the midst of diversity. And he gives or distributes them to each one just as he determines, just as he wills. Notice, we don't get to choose our gift or gifts. We don't. 
We don't get to choose them, okay? It's just like we don't get to choose whether we're tall or short or, you know, our genetics or our ethnicity. We don't get to choose that. We can't sit back and say, oh, God, you know, I think I'm really good at this, and you should give me this gift, Holy Spirit. I'm really awesome here. Give me this. No. You don't get to do that. The gifts are distributed as the Holy Spirit wills. And he gives us, I love this, the abilities that he has designed for us for our use, for our use and the role that he has assigned to us. Therefore, listen now, therefore, we can take no credit for what the Holy Spirit has freely given to us. Can't say, oh, look at me, I'm good, I'm great. Look at this gift. No, he had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with it. You just received it. And it's the Spirit of God that works through you, through me. Yeah? Charles Wendell said this. I love it. Charles Wendell gives great advice about gifts. Your gift is a privilege, so accept it, but don't flaunt it. Your gift is a responsibility, so use it, don't abuse it. Yeah? So I'm just going to just kind of just wrap this up. We're going to spend more time next Sunday on the rest of the chapter. I'm really excited about the next chapter's coming as well. But here I cry out. We will only grow healthy, listen, healthy to the degree that each of us is connected and exercising our spiritual gifts. That's unity. Unity in diversity, which results in a strong, healthy community. Amen? Let's all stand as we pray.